0: Welcome to Kashvis on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer, and I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashvis Magazine. Tonight's show should prove very interesting, so we have a varied amount of information. I just got this, really it was from uh, last week, Uh, I I didn't happen to see it until today, a very interesting Jerusalem Post story, and I I, I find it especially interesting, I'll show you in a, a minute it seems they took a poll of uh what they what we call uh, what they call what the what they call the uh religious zionists which usually is the uh, uh you know the, the mizrahi etc uh the majority of religious zionists oppose the government's kashrist reforms in other words what matan kahana the head of the of the, the Saradatot, is trying to put into action which is to change the Kashrus in Israel to take away from the rabbinate the right to give kashras, or certification, and they're giving them some kind of overseer capacity, but the hashkochos would be all private hashkochos. That's the plan that Matan Kahana has, and it's being pushed through the uh, Israeli system, but uh, it seems that the religious Zionists do not approve of this... It seems a new poll has found that although 62% of the Jewish population in Israel wants serious reform to Israelis' kashra supervision, a plurality of religious Zionist Israelis oppose the reforms proposed by the current government. So here you have a very interesting thing. Um, It seems that a lot of people want the change. Now, and I'll explain to you why they want the change. Uh, You know, a lot of people... Wanted to cut and get an easier deal than the Rabanut. There were many stores, I remember it, it's only a few years ago, we'll be putting in the magazine and mentioned on the air so many times already. It seems there was a group of restaurants that rebelled against the Rabbanut and didn't want the Rabbanut. And they always cited the same things they're too strict. They want a mashgiach to They wanted this. They wanted that. They they, they're, they're, they don't trust me. They you know I'm, I'm I'm I keep kosher. I'm not shomis Shabbos, but I keep kosher. And then and this is what was happening for many years. There was complaints. And I have a whole bunch of stuff I wrote up about and I spoke about on the radio where the the requirements were just too strict for them. And they found an opportunity to get somebody that originally was called Hashkacha Pratis. What does hashgacha pratis means? Private hashgacha, but it also means hashgacha pratis. Whatever Hashem does, it's that's what has to be. And it was a little bit of a joke. And this hashgacha pratis personality was very liberal, extremely liberal. And um, they and he gave and he did the Hashkacha, Then eventually he gave it over to other people to take it over. And this this pratis was a lenient Hashkacha. And the the people want that. They want to be open on Shabbos. However, it's not. They want to be able not to have a mashkiyach Tamidi in some of these restaurants. They want to be able to, uh, to 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 take from different sources. They don't want to be makpid on yashon and all uh, Israel and uh, and, uh, and things that come from from uh, you know from the, the, the milk that wasn't milked on Shabbos. I mean, they want to have a much more liberal system of Kashrus, and that's what motivated this whole move that now ended up to be an effort to take away from the rabbinate their right to certify the products. And what's interesting is even though 62% of the population in Israel wants to change, but of course that 62% includes many people who are not religious and who, and who do not who want the stores to be open and shops and do not want the strictness. They want to be able to have more liberal use of ingredients and products and they want to be able to save some money uh, and, and, and not lose as much money. That, that was their, that's their goal. So they, they believe what's being sold to them, that the Rabbanut is making it difficult in Kashrus, when in reality, they're the ones who are preserving Kashrus in Israel. So what's interesting is, even though the religious Zionists, they have their own organization that's active in, in combating the rabbinate and, and, and trying to give an alternate ashkocha. that now we see that the majority of the, the religious Zionists, Israelis, do not want the government to reform Kashrus. Very, very interesting. Uh, it, it seems that th- this was all the data comes from a poll it was date conducted by the panel's politics for the Institute of Jewish and Zionist Research, a new organization dedicated to examining attitudes to religious and social issues. And that's that's what it basically is about. So we all know about the what's going on in terms of the um, in, in terms of the changes that they want to make in changing the Kashmir standards, but the forms that had a tremendous opposition from the rabbinate because the chief rabbinate a would lose all its power but more importantly they were here to preserve the kashras for the country and if you take it away from them and you're putting it up anybody who wants to give kosher you're going to have what we have here in america i get the calls all the time People want to know about this and this hashgacha. They say, I looked on the website of the CRC in Chicago where they list the recommended hashgachas, and this wasn't there. Well, doesn't that tell you something? That, don't you think that's a sign of something? Why they don't want to recommend that hashkocha? But people want the product. That's the way people are. So you'll, they're going to go ahead and take products that have lower Hashkachas. And that's the way it, 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 would, it would work out in Israel, too. So what can we do? Anyway, it seems that uh, th- that this little bit of uh, a poll gave a very, very, very important look at the situation. Let me, let me quote to you here from, uh, this is from the M.K. Avima Maoz of the ultra-conservative religious Zionist Noam Party. A, comp- a, comp- a component of the religious Zionist party denounced the reforms in the committee hearing. Here's a quote from Avima Oz from the, uh, the religious Zionist Noam party. Israel's state kashrut system is the Jewish face of the state. The chief rabbinate, which Rabbi Avram Isaac HaKohen Cook established, is the soul of the Jewish state. And the state has no other Jewish face. If you remove the chief rabbit's monopoly from our public lives, you will turn the state of Israel into a state of all its citizens. Now, that sounds good. All its citizens, everybody's supposed to be involved. Citizens of Israel include 20% uh, Arabs, it's a certain percentage of Christians, uh, a very high percentage of people who are not Shomer Shabbos, not Shomer Kosher. <laughs> You're going to let it be, uh, of course, the, the religious Zionist parties and the, and, the, and the Haredi parties, they represent a significant part of Israel, but not the whole. And, when, and they cannot fight against the rest of the country. This was a decision that was made in the beginning of the state, and thank God it's continued all these years, even though there's been a lot of effort to try to dismantle it. But now, when this new group is running Israel, they want to take the advantage and destroy the rabb- rabbinate's control of kashmirs, of marriages, of conversions, etc., etc., etc. They want to turn things around completely back to where before the state was founded, without any rabbinic control in the country. It could be disastrous, not just for the uh, Kashus area, but for every aspect of Yiddishkeit in Israel. Now, we're going to go through some numbers here. Those saying reform is needed include 64% of religious Zionist respondents, 72% of the religious traditional, and 43% of the ultra-respondents, along with 67% traditional and 61% secular Jews. They need reform. All these people said we need reform. Nobody is questioning that we need reform. And I could tell you I know the reforms that we need. There's a lot of reforms that we need, a lot of them we can't do, and a lot of them we can do. And it's a good thing if we do do reform, but not to take away the rabbinate's control of hashkocha, to strengthen the rabbinate, to, to work on training, to make sure that there's some oversight maybe on the rabbinate. That, that, that wouldn't be a bad deal. But not the idea that they're going to replace the rabbinate with total hefkerus of anybody who wants to give hashkocha to be able to give hashgacha. Although there was more support for the government's proposed reforms to the Kashra system among those who have heard about them, 20, 21% in favor and 14 against, the majority of the general public, 52%, has not even heard about the reforms at all. So they're just saying it needs it, but they don't have any ideas about what we're talking about. 71% of the religious Zionists said they heard of the reforms, All of the religious Zionist respondents, uh, I'm sorry, sorry. of the all the the religious Zionist respondents, 35 percent they were opposed to the proposals. 18 percent said they were in favor, and 18 percent had heard about them but had not formed an opinion. In the ultra-Orthodox, we call ultra-Orthodox, we call Haredi, we call the Yeshiva Orthodox, Hasidim, whatever it is, some 40, 54% of the ultra-Orthodox respondents said they had heard of the proposals and opposed them compared to just 1% who said they were supportive. I can't imagine supporting the thrust of what they're doing. I can imagine supporting some of it, but not that. It seems, anyway, the bottom, bottom of the line is this. Um, ask what This is the Chief Rabbinate Okay. Asked what the solution was to all the problems listed, more than half the respondents said abolished the chief rabbinate's Kashmir's monopoly. And that's what the... I'm talking about the whole whole country. The poll gives a clear message that there's an understanding and broad consensus for need to change the Kashmir system. But that we're accepting. But the sentiment is widespread and includes all sects and denominations of the Jewish people, including the traditional and the religious for whom Kashmir is important, they were not interested in continuing absolute control of the, of the rabbinate. So there's a group this way, then there's a group that way. But it seems that the overriding majority of the religious Zionists, even though they, they want to have reform in Israel, but they do not want the power taken away from the rabbinate, and that's a very important thing, especially since the, the uh, Zionist, the religious Zionist is exactly where the, uh, some of the leadership of the new government is. Uh, this, this Martin Kahana represents that, that grouping and obviously they're not agreeing with him in total with his, with his assessment and his plans. We wait to see what happens and develops in that area. We go on. I'd like to share with you a, uh, a recent announcement that came from the Star K. Now, it's about one particular thing, but we can learn a lot from it. It's about Aid French door refrigerators. Okay, if you don't have a new refrigerator, don't feel bad. I don't have a new refrigerator, and most people don't. But if you get a new refrigerator, so French door is in, you know, the two doors there, and you open them up, one and the other, and it's called KitchenAid French Door Refrigerator. So this is what the Star K gave out. And this is from October 12th. This was hot off the press. It says, the interior lights continue to be operational even in the Sabbath mode. The Star K has Sabbath mode on the KitchenAid French Door Refrigerators. And two of their numbers KRFC-302-ESS, and KRSC-503-ESS, both of those that have Sabbath mode from the star K. The star K tells us now the interior lights continue to operate, even in the Sabbath mode, which means when you open opening the door, the light goes on, which is forbidden on Shabbos. So obviously the Sabbath mode is not working in those two. And they tell you how to figure out whether your, your system is working properly or not. To determine if your, if your model has this issue, do the following. Set the Sabbath mode, keep, keep the left door and the freezer door closed, and then open the right door. If there's no light displaying, then your unit is fine. If you see a light, even if it's very dim, you're going to need to tape down both the refrigerator switches and the freezer switch before Shabbos and Yom Tov. Freezer and, uh, and and refrigerator. Be sure to remove the tape after Shabbos and Yom Tov. This is like the old days. So what do you need a Sabbath mode if you have to tape up the refrigerator door? So it increases some parts of it? I don't know. You'll just have to, uh, you know, if you have a KitchenAid French Door Refrigerator, and it's the model numbers that I mentioned with all the KRFC and 302 ESS or 503 ESS, you got a problem. And you can contact uh, KitchenAid directly at 800-422-1230. 800-422-1230. And you should um, report the issue, and you can have... KitchenAid come and change it for you, fix it fix it for you. Which doesn't do anybody any good with if they've been doing it for months and months and months using the doors. But this is what it is, you know, it, It's there's a lot of these that are under hashkocha, and not all the times so that they work out perfectly. So when you buy a new machine... Ask around about it. Find out. Make sure, first of all, you can go on the website from the Star Cake, who does most of the Shabbos mode operations, and you can ask. You can look on there and see if your model is mentioned and your company is mentioned as having a problem. And you could also uh, communicate with people who do uh, fixing of refrigerators. They know the best models to get. And then if uh, once you buy yours, you just should make sure you check it before you use it on the Shabbos or a Yumtiv not assuming that just as a Sabbath mode that it works perfectly. Okay, next. This is uh, a very, 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 very concerning problem. I don't know if I mentioned it before, I think I didn't. Could be I hinted at it, but here's a little article. And it's about cafeterias in Israel opening on Shabbos. I mean, in the, in, in, hotel, in ha- hospitals. The government continues to, you know, change the different uh, rulings that on, on, uh, that existed before regarding Shabbos and kosher and all that. So again, Shabbos is on the agenda. Health Minister Nitan Natan Harowitz—I'm Hor, sorry, Nitzan Harowitz. This is somebody else. This is the health minister. Nitzan Harowitz said Wednesday that he's working to promote the opening of canteens and hospitals seven days a week, including Shabbos. Now, earlier this month, he instructed to extend the working days for Abu Kabir Institute of Forensic Medicine to include Shabbos. I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but it seems that forensic medicine, where they're trying to study um, how a person died, they do autopsies. So, in uh, for us... Shabbos is Shabbos. It seems that the forensic place, the Czech Forensic Medicine Institute, the Abu Kabir Institute for Forensic Medicine, seems to be open five, uh, six days a week. I believe Sunday to Friday. But they only open a certain number of hours. And on Friday they close early. And when, if there's a need for an autopsy, to determine the the reason for death, which of course could ha- happen because of uh, ill, uh, and because because of uh, something, some somebody caused the death of this individual, or they just want to make sure that he died from this or from that, and it was important to them, and maybe they maybe even the family permits it. I don't know all the details, but they would perform this this uh, this test. They they would, they, they would do their, uh, their cutting into the body, and afterwards, after the autopsy, that you could bury the body. But you've got to have a certain amount of lag time. So what ended up is that the Arabs are claiming that they're losing three days before their burial of, of their near ones. And uh, they hold very strongly about hurrying up the burial of, of somebody and not, and not letting them sit and wait days and days. Uh, so they, obviously they're very different than the Christians who who believe in awaken or in preparing the body and come visit or whatever. But the, uh, but the Arabs are very, very strong about it, and they feel that the government in Israel should respect their wishes and have autopsies going on on Shabbos. So believe it or not, the new government has actually accepted that and said yes. And this uh, health minister, Nitzan Horowitz, Said, yes, we're going to open up on Shabbos so that you'll be able to bury your dead as soon as possible. So now, the same gentleman, Nitzan Horowitz, says, I want to open cafeterias and hospitals on Shabbos as well. They told the Knesset. This is a quote from Nitzan Horowitz They should be open seven days a week. I'm also working to lower the prices and and also to have them open seven days a week, including Shabbos, because there are a lot of visitors who come to visit the patients then. So in order for the patients to have the visitors, in order to make the hospital operate for the, for the betterment of the of the patients, we want to let the people who are Mechal Shabbos or Goyim come in there and be able to have something to eat. So that's why we have the cafeteria. Uh, I have to remind you that for years and years and years and years, they did not allow chomets in hospitals. Recently, they've started allowing chomets in hospitals on Pesach. Uh, you know, if you're bringing in chomets, you're, you're, you're visiting somebody or you want to eat something and it's not It's not kashla Pesach. So before, they would confiscate it from you. Now, you, they allow you to take it right in there. But this one is more dramatic because here we're having somebody work on Shabbos Maybe a lot of people work on Shabbos and we're taking money on Shabbos because cafeterias, when you come in with a with cafeteria, it's not like you have, a, you have a, your own uh, account there in the cafeteria. You're coming today to visit your patient and then he'll, he'll be out or she'll be out next week and you're gone. So there's no way to get you to pay unless we take out your, your, your wallet. And you, 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 or you give your credit card, or your or your shekels, and you pay for your meal, and that's what they want to do in all of the hot, in all the hospitals in Israel on Shabbos. This is the new approach of the new government of Israel. Obviously, the uh, charedim don't like it too much, and uh, don't even have to report uh, what they what they said. Except there's a nice line over here from Rabbi Gafni, from the who's an MK. He said, I very much hope that the religious ministers and the MKs and the coalition will not let this happen and will not allow this gentleman to change the character of the Jewish state, which is the same thing we're hearing again and again and again of how these changes will actually change the state of Israel as we know it. It's it's definitely heading in that direction. What will be in the future? Will this government last? Will everything be able to be switched back? Will uh, the Haredi powers, Haredi uh, MKs and, and, and uh, parties, get in, in into the um, in, into the uh, the government that's running the country, or will they be in the opposition like they are now? If they have the opportunity to join the uh, the government itself, then I think they'll be able to put many of the things back that are being taken away. This is what happened historically. But the rabbinate being taken out is not something you can do like this. This is something that if they take the rabbinate out, it would be, would be a mapecha to get it back in again. And the trouble is that there's a lot of uh, ill will, and there's ill will towards the Haredim, and they, they think that the rabbinate expresses the view of the Haredim more than the more uh, religious Zionists, which is not really true, but that's the perception by some people, and even though the rabbinic standards in Kashrus are not the highest standards, they're trying to get a solid standard for the average Israeli, many of which are not really Shomit Torah mitzvahs. So it's a, it's a battle to work with all of the people who are providing food, all the companies, and with all the restaurants, etc., especially when they're they not committed to it. It's, and they always are trying to, you know, to wiggle out of responsibilities towards kashris. Now I'm going to continue with now with the uh, series that the OU has. There are a few uh, OU pieces that, that we're dealing with uh, insects in, in, the, in the foods that we eat. I don't remember what we discussed, but I'll just tell you briefly what we're up to here, because these are coming out daily from the, from the OU. One's from 1013... 1014, 1018, a few different ones here. Um, the, The first case is we found two flies in the soup. Before you go into the soup, let me just tell you, when we come to a situation where we may have insects in the foods that we're supposed to eat, we're planning to eat, so the approach has to be an honest one. If there are three insects in the things that's in front of you right now, you must check every aspect of it. That's for sure. But if you don't find three, the halakha says, it, each one could be an accident. It doesn't have to mean it's a third and a fourth and a fifth. So if you only find one or two, basically, you could continue to eat, etc. But there's a point where it's a fine line where you know and you feel that there may be something here. And I'll give you the examples. One example is you found some insects in a batch of dough. So they, the insects could come from an outside, They could have flown to the window, it sometimes happens. But it could be it was from the flour. And you see the insects in the dough. So you found two. Now, you know and I know, for you to pull apart every mashahu of dough is impossible. Right? That's not, that's not humanly possible to examine the dough. And, and, or, if, or if it was a challah and a closed challah and you find one bug and it probably you throw it out because it's amused to you but if you were to cut it off a little bit could you eat the whole challah? So if you found one or you found two halachically you should be able to eat the challah. But be honest. Isn't it very possible that there's more inside the dough? How, maybe we should be concerned about that. That's the question that sort of comes up. And uh, to make it a little more interesting, when people make a dough for flour and water, they don't usually use all of the flour. There's still some left in the bag. And sometimes they throw a little flour onto the, the dough, and sometimes there's flour all around the room, I mean, or at least on the table you're working on. And you really have to, if you have seen one bug. But certainly if you saw two bugs, according to Halacha, as far as my, as far as my Rebbe, my Vashar Zim, and taught us, you must examine the other rest of the flower right in front of you. And if you threw the bag out, go to the bed, go to the garbage, pick up the bag, and look at it again. Maybe there's little insects that, cra- that caught in the cracks, Maybe there's a little bit of flour in the bottom and you'll see that there's a, there are insects in there. On, you, you just need one more and, you're, and you know that you have a problem here because the bag is the same as your flour that you have in your mix, in your, in your, in your dough. It's the same flour. So if, you, if there's a bug here and two bugs over there or two bugs there and one bug over here, that's three, and that's a big problem. So you have to do some due diligence. Again, you can't tear apart the dough. But if you have two bugs to worry about, and it's possible it's in the dough, then you better make sure you check everything else very well, and uh, maybe ask a Shiloh also. Uh, We had a situation like this many years ago, and we did find two bugs, and uh, called up my Rebbe Reuserman, and he told me, they're coming through the window. Now, he's sitting in his house, and he's talking to me on the phone, and he says, they're coming from the window. He said, how do you know they're coming from the window? He says, because they, because they tend to go in, they're very small, the way you're describing them, and they're coming, and, and they're com- they could easily go through a screen in the window. The window's open, but the screen is there, but the screen is not going to block something that size, and it's very possible that they came in, and they attracted themselves to the dough area, and they're flying up and around there. And, so then we had to, and we examined the, the flour, and we found this, we examined everything. We couldn't find any more. He said, you can eat it. So that's the way you, you have to be. You have to be honest about it, look into it, and then you can make a decision with rear Rav, or if you think you know the answer yourself, <laughs> I'm not going to question that. And here's the way the OU put it, which is going to be a little different. I found two flies in my soup. Well, right, soup is the same kind of deal. Am I permitted to eat the rest of the soup? Now, the soup, it has barley in it. Let's say, and barley a lot of times has insects. So again, you should, even if you didn't find, you only found two, not three, and it's impossible to go through the whole soup and look for bugs. That's, like, it's, that's impossible to do. It's as bad as, almost as bad as the, the, the dough. But what you can do is you can check the source of the barley. The bag is still there. Maybe there's some still barley, some barley left in the bag for next week or for a few weeks from now. So then take them all out, put it on a, on a white plate, examine and see if there's anything in there. And examine the bag, the plastic bag, to see if there's anything in that bag. If there's nothing there, so that's a good sign, then maybe there only were two. Maybe there's no third. So the OU explains an interesting Gemara. This question about, do I have to worry more than two? This question hinges on a disagreement between Rebbe, that's Rebbe Yehuda Nossi, and Rabbi Shim Ben Gamliel, in the Gemara and Yevomis, Daf dalet as to how many times an event must occur before you make a chazaka. Rebbe holds that two times makes a chazaka, which is pretty bad for us right now, and Rabbi Shim Ben Gamliel holds you need three times to have a chazaka, and it's only after the third time is something considered to be a chazaka that we're assuming it's going to happen. So in our case, you'd need three bugs, according to Rabbi Shem Ben Gamliel. According to Rabbi, two bugs would be enough to put you in the hot seat, and you wouldn't be able to eat anything unless you checked everything out from A to Z. The Chubas harashba was asked, what's the halacha if two insects were found in a food? Should you be concerned there's more? And the Rashba writes, that if only two are found, you can eat it without doing anything. However, if you find more than there's a chazaka, that this food is infested, and you can't eat it until it's completely checked. The Bach points out that there's an apparent contradiction in the Rashba, since in another place the Rashba says you're only that you should be concerned even if two insects are found. And here he's saying three. He therefore recommends being strict and requiring uh, checking once two ex- insects were found. That's the Bach. So there is a There are Shitas here. There's Rabbi Huda Nosi in the Gemara, and there's the Rash I'm sorry, and there's the Bach, who is saying that you have to worry even if two are found, you'd have to check everything out. But the Shulchan Aruch, fortunately, says three or four. So obviously, even four. But but three you need at least not not the two so that that puts us a little bit in a better spa- a little bit better space. The next piece from the OU talks about when I find three insects. And my Rebbe had this shilah. It was a famous shilah, and I don't. Know if I, I'm sure I mentioned it on the radio, but we mentioned it quickly again. Somebody called him up, and she said that she had insects in her. Cholent on Shabbos, in Shabas, and she found insects in there, and she threw out all the Cholent, and she wants to know if she has the kasher, her pot. That was the question. So the Rav said, kasher, the pot, definitely not. But even the, the Cholent, he didn't have to throw out. But there were bugs in there, she said. And there were three, right? But a potato, the bug doesn't go into the potato. You could have washed off the potato and eaten it. You, the meat, you could wash it off and take a quick look at it and see if it's, if it's edible. Uh, if it's, I'm sorry, if there's any uh, insects that are uh, standing on it, sitting on it, um, then you could go ahead and uh, you could do the same thing with anything that's solid in the cholent. So you didn't have to throw the cholent out You couldn't eat the whole Chalent, but you could have had enough for the people for the meals for Shabbos. So he said, but my rabbi told me. He didn't say any more about it. In the middle of the week, Rabbi Zimmerman gets a call, and the rabbi changed it. But it was that rabbi, even though he didn't know who the rabbi was, but it was definitely the rabbi, because he said, Rabbi Zimmerman, what would be if there was a soup? And in the soup, you found three bugs. So Rabbi Zidman said, well, you can't eat the soup because there's three bugs, you can't get it out. But if there's a potato in there, if there's a, 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 a carrot in there, if there's a piece of chicken in there, you could just wash it off and use it. But Rabbi Zimman, the Gemara says, the Halacha says, that one bug doesn't become bottle even in, in, in a thousand Rabbi Zerman says, yes, it won't become bottle, but the taste of the bug is bottle. Silence on the phone. Thank you very much, Rabbi Zerman. The rabbi had forgotten halacha. So the halacha is, in any of these cases, even if you find bugs, you do not have to throw everything out. Now, I don't know if it's appealing to you, but many people would say, I find one bug... Anywhere near there, you know, two feet away, I'm not going to eat anything. Okay, fine. But if you have a lot of people, I'm not going to talk about guests now because you maybe you get turned off when I say you, know, you have a lot of guests. You'll say, but I wouldn't serve them for anything, nothing like that. But your family is hungry. There's a lot of kids. This is what you made. You're going to surely throw it out. I'll be a lucha, you do not have to. That's the point. They do not have to do it. And you know and I know that if you made something and a bug alighted on the, a fly alighted on the plate, it may bother you, but you'll put the food out. You won't throw it out. Maybe some people will, but most people will eat it and they won't tell anybody else because they don't have to. Of course, if it bothers you, no, no one's going to stop you from throwing it out. But halachically, you have no need to do that whatsoever. So in this particular case, it would be fine for you to just t- take that uh, food and like Rev Zimman said, wash it off. Make sure it's clean. Make sure there's no bugs on it. And fine. There's nothing it, nothing. it didn't sneak in. It didn't get into a potato. It didn't get into a carrot. You can be sure of that. And even a piece of meat, you can take a quick look at it. It's not, nothing's going to get in there. Absorption, Yes. Actual bugs? No. That's the, way, that's the way we deal with it. So here's the OU take on this. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch says that three whole insects are found in a pot of cooked vegetables. You have to assume there could be more. The Chokhemis Odom says that this is a suffix Doraisa, because there could be real bugs in there and there could be whole bugs, which is Doraisa. And therefore, we have to be very strict. The liquid portion of the soup can be filtered through a cloth or mesh. Now, I want you to understand that this psoctit that they're giving out from the OU is based on a very sophisticated thing. You have to see the insect. If the insect is very tiny, it's very, very possible that the third insect, or the fourth insect, or the fifth insect, is smaller than that bu- that bug is. So if you're going to use a cloth or a mesh, it's got to be very very tight, because it's very hard to catch small bugs. And if you have a netting that has a, it's a, a cloth netting, it tends to open and, and to, to and to separate and to spread because it's not like a, a it's not like a, a plastic or a metal mesh. That doesn't. It's not going to move with a with a cloth mesh. You're going to have the um, you're going to have it expand, and insects can definitely get through. So, I I it's simple to say filter with a cloth or a mesh, but it's you've got to be sure that you're doing it on the level where you will trap everything, which is not so simple. We have that situation where uh, we we have this special material which is used by the mashkichim, and you could buy it yourself for seven dollars or ten dollars. They sell it in stores in Lakewood, and you can get it from anybody in the kashrus field. They'll will you sell you a piece, and you, that you could use for, uh, for filtering different things. But I remember when there was the orange juice interest uh, concern. Rav David Feinstein told me that there is no problem with the orange juice with insects. I know that there are some people who consider it to be a problem still, but Rab David Feinstein Zatzal said, it is not an issue, and whatever you do is what you do, but that was definitely used very, very much at that time. And when we did it, we saw that it was very hard to get the orange juice that had a pulp in it to go through because we had to have a tight mesh, so the pulp never got through. And that's the problem you're going to run into when you do the liquid, is that you might trap, based upon the soup or the liquid, you're going to trap more than you want. And, And also you have to make sure that even the liquid can go through, that the bugs can't go through. So it's a little bit difficult, but that's what they recommend. And then the vegetables should be discarded because it's too difficult to check most vegetables after they're cooked. But of course I told you a potato and the and a carrot, as my Rebbe taught, do not have any problems. Because the potato is you know, it's solid like a rock, and they and the carrot as well. So you're not going to have anything like that. Yeah, you're talking about onions, okay, they're very sucked, supple, and it's easy for something to get trapped inside there. Yeah, there are different vegetables. If it's a whole mush of vegetables, of course, it's impossible to examine them. But, but you have to understand which vegetable we're talking about. The Chochmas Adam writes that pieces of meat can be scrubbed and eaten. So the Chochmas Adam, the Rebbe was saying, also the Chochmas The same would hold true for firm vegetables like potatoes and carrots. They could be washed clean. The Shach and the Orecha write that fruit that stays firm even when cooked can be visually inspected and eaten. Obviously, the applesauce is not together, but certain fruits do retain their, their strength together, even when they're cooked. So that's a, uh, an idea about uh, if you find three or more. It's exactly what my Rebbe had told us and many, many years ago. Now, let me mention a new thing that they just mentioned at the OU. I was told that I'm not allowed to eat certain fruits and vegetables unless I perform a bedikah for the infestation. Well, others can be eaten without inspection. On what basis are the distinctions made? In other words, who is deciding? How do we know that this uh, I have to check and this one I don't have to check? And I'll add on something the OU didn't add on. How do I know that this one I can check and this one is too hard for me to check and I shouldn't eat it at all? So the answer for the OU. All fruits and vegetables are susceptible to some level of infestation. Only the Chazal only mandated checking for infestation if it's typically prone to infestation, what we call mir hamatzui or or uh, becheskis uh, the toloiim the muxa t- be There are various opinions among the postgim what's called miut ha a small significant amount. The Shlomo Zalman Arbach and many other postgim hold, like the Mishkanos Yaakov, that the 10% level is considered to be miut ha If 10% is infested, then you have to check every drop of it. But how do you decide what is considered to be 10% because what are you using as your base. So Rabbi Schachter, uh, uh, Herschel Schachter from the OU and from, the, uh, from YU, so he holds that it's what goes on your plate. So if a person would eat ten cherries at one sitting, then that's called any, 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 so ten times that, which is a hundred. If you find one in the hundred that is infested, that's called meat or and you've got to check all, you've got to check them. That's, that's what uh, he says. Now, that works out interestingly about the cherries, but what about, let's say, lettuce? So lettuce, you might eat three slices, of, three pieces or three leaves of lettuce. That's your lettuce portion. And in the bag, you might have 10 or 15 or whatever more. So then it wouldn't be every bag. You would have, let's say, each bag represents three servings and you'd only need three bags or so, one bug in the three bags would be your number, let's say. And that would be, that would represent 10%. So if you don't find one bug in three bags, then you'd be okay. Other people say, no, 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 it's the way it's sold. So, for example, broccoli is sold in a little bunch with it's wrapped around with a, some kind of a, a tape, and, uh, and, 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 and lettuce is sold in an eight ounce package. So you'd need one, it's so a one bug in 10 eight ounce packages. So you're going to Rabbi Schachter one bug in three packages. Well, it's much harder to find one bug in three packages than one bug in 10 packages. So this is a question of how you decide what is the unit that you're using to establish your, uh, y- your, your numbers. For the uh, mir Hamatsui. that's the issue. And and basically, uh, if you, of course you found three or four bugs in a pot of soup, then you're gonna then you're gonna have to check the you're gonna have to check the whole thing or throw it all out. Um, and there's no way to check the soup except like we told you before to take the individual things out and eat them or to strain them. But these are, uh, the, the, I told you the story that happened when when, when we were bacharim in yeshiva the meishaiba in brooklyn <laughs> the, the problem was that they're serving 100 people the big bowl of soup and if the if the uh, barley was infested it's totally infested and everybody's got bugs in the soup so the question was do are there three bugs in this soup so what happened was you're sitting down there's 50 b- b- bahram sitting down eating and one guy says i got one and then another guy Another another bacher chimes in. I got two means one more. Didn't mean three. He didn't mean altogether three. I got the second one, in other words. And then so now there's a question: Do you con- continue to eat, or do you say, if there's two already, before five minutes goes by, there's going to be the third? So if you have a lot of yerushamayim, you stop with the soup. You wait twenty minutes. If no one pops up and says they found the third one. So then you could eat your soup. But it's cold, okay. But if you're going to eat it now and, and gobble it up quick before the third guy says he's got one, that's lacking in Yerushalayim. This is the way we were exposed to it. I want to go on now with something that concerned me very much. Uh, it's not common, but it happened. I have a... a um, don't ask me how we get these things. I've had people sending me this all the time, different things they send to me. This is a mini donut company. It's called minidonuts.com, I think. And they have their, they have stores all across the United States or at different places. And I know they have in New York stores and they other stores. And this is what's on their website. I sent it to the OU. Glazed and Confused specializes, that's what they call it, the company, I suppose, uh, specializes in fresh made to order mini donuts. That means the little pillows of joy are made right before your eyes and come out warm. They're drizzled with the glazes and toppings of your choice, and they, makes it, they make it sound exciting. Our loyal fans know our donuts are light and airy. That's because we don't use any artificial bases, base, and our donut batter is trans-fat-free, trans all the good stuff, right? And here comes the line. All our donut batter is certified kosher to meet OUD standards. Did you get it? They, they are they're gluten-free, they're nut-free, but they, they're certified kosher to meet OUD standards. What a, a, an inappropriate way to say something. I said this to the OU. I couldn't believe it. They're saying that they're certified kosher, not by the OU, to meet the standards of OUd. Well, first of all, they're obviously dairy and cholusdam, but but the, and I don't even know who such kosher they have, but they supposedly have it says it says certified kosher. So let's hope that the the company is certified kosher, not just the the dough or the batter or the flour, but uh, they're making a claim that they have the standards of OUD. I mean, that's a, that's a total ripoff of the OU name. I sent it to the OU just a few minutes ago, so I don't know the answer what what's going to come out of it. But it seems to me that this is uh, an over-grab of uh, one of these uh, companies using the OU name inappropriately, making a claim that they're somehow, not OU certified, but it, look at the way he said it, Certified kosher to meet OUD standards. It's definitely uh, an attempt to, uh, to confuse you. That's what I have for this week. And we're cutting off a little bit early. I just want to let you know that we do have the new kosher magazine came out, Kasha's magazine came out, and we just mailed it together with the kosher supervision guide to all of our subscribers. If anybody would like to get a copy of either the new Magazine, which is very, very interesting. I have some, uh, some wonderful stories by uh, first person stories, etc. Very, very interesting publication. And if you want to get the magazine and you want to get the kosher supervision guide to the 1,493 kosher symbols and organizations worldwide, you can call us at 718 336 8544 or you can email us at kashrus, K A S H R U S at AOL.com uh, and if, you, if for any reason you have a question on consciousness you can call us at that number and uh, anyone recommend anything for us to discuss on the, on the show we'll definitely take up your suggestion and until next week this has been your host Rabbi Yosef Wickler editor of conscious Magazine wishing you a wonderful week